Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Robin, and this episode on Books That Burn, we are discussing Queen of the Conquered by Kaysen Callender. Have the synopsis from the publisher. On the islands of Hans Lolik, Sigourney Rose was the only survivor when her family was massacred by the colonizers. When the childless king of the islands declares he will choose his successor from amongst eligible noble families, Sigourney is ready to exact her revenge. But someone is killing off the ruling families to clear a path to the throne, and as the bodies pile up and all eyes regard her with suspicion, Sigourney must find allies amongst her prey and the murderer among her peers, lest she become the next victim. Uh, yeah, so it is a locked island murder mystery story. Uh, they'll (laughs) even come back a couple of times, but like... And that's that's basically that's basically what this is. Yeah. Um book 2 however is a different pile of tropes and it's great. Um I love book 2 more and I didn't want us to spoil it for all of you. So if you read this book on our recommendation and then you like it and then you read book 2 and then you're sad it's okay you can DM me and tell me that that book was sad and I'll be like yeah it's it's sad um yeah so that's uh my quick thoughts about that but today Uh, we are talking about book one but today we are talking about queen of the conquered um oh book two is king of the rising okay but queen of the conquered our first topic is focusing on frederick and that topic is rape So we are going to be talking about the ways in which uh, what he and Sigourney are doing is sexual assault. The book doesn't use those words exactly, but assaulters rarely do. So um, we're going to talk about that in this section. If you don't want to hear about that, either skip to one of the later topics or to the wrap up. Um, So Frederick. So it is not at all a spoiler to say that Sigourney has the power to manipulate and read the minds of people around her and manipulate memories and things. Um, That is established like pretty much as soon as the book begins. And she is sleeping with one of her, one of the peoples that she, one of the people that she has enslaved. And She knows he's in love with her because she keeps reading his mind. He has no way to stop her from reading his mind. He also, because of the power structure, even if she didn't have magic, he doesn't have a way to tell her that he doesn't want to sleep with her and have any expectation that she's not going to punish and or kill him. So 
it, this is one of those situations where the power gap is so immense that there is no way for consent to be possible. Writ large. So the the characters we have here, we have Sigourney, who is forcing, compelling, either power structure-wise or magically or threateningly, depending on the situation, um, uh, Friedrich to to consent to her rape of him, essentially. That's what's happening here, to be yeah. clear, to put it all in one sentence. Yeah. They have several conversations on screen, I think three, where Sigourney tries to basically make, make Friedrich admit <laughs> that the power imbalance is that large. And he refuses to do it because his coping mechanism for dealing with this is pretending, convincing himself, pretending that he wants this relationship. Yeah. And because also she can read his mind, she knows that he knows in some way, maybe if he doesn't often let it get to his surface thoughts, that this is his defense well, against thinking of it as well, rape. Also, quite literally, he has no real other option than to pretend because mm -hmm. he has no reason to think that Sigourney is not going to just kill him if he says that he doesn't want this like there's there's no power structure wise it doesn't matter if she knows that he's lying he has to lie he can't not there isn't really like another option for him mm -hmm. yeah um i thought in terms of he is the character through which we establish the ways in which Sigourney is an unreliable versus reliable narrator. Her interactions with him, I think, in terms of like the author, like putting this in here and setting and setting this up, um, the interactions with Frederick are kind of what set the tone of how much we can believe Sigourney's assessment of what's happening yeah because it is very very far into oh yeah this person that i have enslaved is sleeping with me ah oh, he's in love with me look at him look at how in love with me he is we get like <laughs> a lot of that before we get her acknowledgement that hmm, i wonder how much he realizes that he probably only like she starts to think of this as his defense against not actually wanting to sleep with her. She only starts thinking of that in moments where she's like kind of tired of how clingy he is. Yeah. Um, which means that I am inclined to believe that, that, that those are true thoughts that she has read from him, but I deeply, deeply mistrust her timing and motives for yeah. thinking about how that is because it's like oh this person who i keep making sleep with me occasionally he asked to sleep with me when i didn't initiate it how clingy like that's what she's doing and yeah it it i think it's it's definitely a very good setup for how she's going to approach most things for the rest of the book yeah. Because I think she's a pretty reliable narrator on what literally happens. And she's also very savvy about other people's motives, partly because she keeps being able to read their mind. Well, but I, <laughs> I actually want to argue that maybe she's not super reliable when it comes to what actually happens. Uh -huh. Only, only once she gets to the island and once someone else is in control of what she experiences. Oh, sorry. Sorry. She I is, just want to point that out. Is, Not that she is intending to be unreliable, but... That's true. Sorry. What I meant is she is a pretty good narrator of what she's literally perceiving. Yes, On the island, true. there is someone messing with what she is perceiving, and so that complicates it. But an unreliable narrator is where there's some indication that the narrator is just lying to the audience about something. Yeah. And she's not lying about 
what she's perceiving and I don't think she's lying about what she's reading in other people's minds but yeah they, her, her timing are, for thinking about it her timing for focusing on it is suspect at best it's, de- it's definitely yes. whatever it, it seems to be whatever uh, benefits her the most so yeah and I also think whether or not you think of what's happening uh, as a reader whether or not you um, kind of go with Sigourney's characterization of it and think of him as clingy or whether you think of him as a person who is regularly being assaulted and occasionally doesn't want to feel bad about that. Um, whether you think of it as that, I think that this kind of, this whole interaction shapes the way you'll probably think about Sigourney for the rest of the book. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like how sympathetic. (laughs) Yeah. And like how sympathetic she feels as a character. Um, Because she tries very, very hard to have someone be sympathetic to her. Um, To have the, the audience kind of like agree with her. Yeah, there that's I, I feel like. We've spent the entire topic about Friedrich talking about Sigourney. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's hard because she is our point of view character and the narrator. And she literally has a power that lets her see into other people's minds. So it's difficult to really talk about it from someone else's perspective because we don't really get that perspective at all. Yeah. And we'll talk about, we'll like note that in the wrap up as well. But yeah. This is very much something that Sigourney is doing to Friedrich. And mm-hmm. we only get her justifying it to herself and like logicking to us why this was the right choice and why she needed this and why she, you know, not deserved to have this, but there's like, that's the next step, you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, really, that's, that's kind of the the point of this character this character is there because she wants him there because she wants something from him and because he makes her feel not special but like he makes her feel like maybe you know not everyone is against her and like Mm -hmm. you know what what if what if she had support what if she had someone she could rely on you know you know he is is her bodyguard he's her her force rape victim he's you know he is the thing that she kind of latches onto in the beginning of the book to feel wanted and to feel like she should deserve something yeah and it's and really like, it's really kind of sad <laughs> really sad yeah yeah um all right I, w- I wish we had frederick like his actual yeah. perspective for like two pages, but we, I understand why we don't. And I think the book would have been very different if we did. I don't think it should have happened, but I wish we had like a, a, a small companion chapter <laughs> from this yeah, character. It, just like it would talking. It would range from like dissonant to extremely spoilery. If every once in a while we had a different character who, I mean, it, it would be a very different Sigourney. book. It would be a different yeah. book for a lot of reasons, but I, I yeah. just, I wish we had like a little, you know, you know how sometimes on podcasts or movies you'll have actors or hosts who will come in and like narrate oh, sure. companion tracks? I want that. I want Friedrich's companion track narration to the beginning of this book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to Lauren. On to Lauren and torture. So, do you want to explain the backstory for this event? Um, we, okay. So, Lauren as a character is the half brother of one of the Connelling and is still a slave because he is. Uh, mixed race, mixed culture, and I'm not sure what the right. He's term there he's is. mixed race. I, yeah. I mean, he in our. I don't know if there's a word for that in the book. I don't remember. Right, right. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't think there is. Um, yeah, but he has a lifelong history of being attacked and beaten and whipped and punched and, um, you know, things thrown at him and you know hit with with whatever his 
biological father and master wants, as well as his biological half-brother. And he has this history of just, you know, they'll, they'll try to kill him or they won't, but they are, he, he has a history of being injured partly because he's there, partly because he exists, partly because he is related to his master and his master's son, and partly because he, you know, he does something that draws their attention, even when another, another slave would not have doing the same thing. And then he is kind of, his well-being is kind of taken over by Sigourney when she marries his half-brother. And then he injures one of the Connelling where he can't really get away with it. He can't really run away. He can't really hide. It was too public to be kind of glossed over. Well, I, I do think it's important that what happens is his his brother punches him, he punches him, his half-brother punches him, he punches him back, but one of them was a Connolly. Right. And the other, yeah, was him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there's a... <laughs> we could have talked about the same topic from the other... from a, a betrayal perspective, but we chose not to. <laughs> um, yeah. So we have this moment where Sigourney, who quite literally holds his life in her hands because she is the only one fighting for him, but also she could withdraw that protection or hurt him at any time, um, says that she won't let anything happen to him. And then she intercedes with him for him with his half brother, who essentially says, OK, well, if I don't get to kill him, I have to I have to whip him. And Sigourney backs down and says, OK, fine, that's a good enough compromise. Sure. Right, because she's not the one who's going to get hurt by this compromise. Yeah, and and she's not really, like, super invested in keeping her promises, so to speak. She wants her goals accomplished. And so she promised, you know, she said the thing to each person to get them to both survive. So she told, she told Lauren that nothing would happen to him because that's what he needed to hear. And she backed down just enough to get his half-brother to agree with her and not kill him. So her goal is accomplished. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does. And she kind of has like emotional moment of like, oh, no, I didn't do the right thing. But she thinks it's fine. And she justifies it to herself because Lauren is alive. And that's all that mattered to her. Yeah. And even then... Like she's fascinated by him. Yeah, but it's all it's most very of personal. Why, yeah, but most of why it matters to her is because she doesn't want to be seen as the kind of person who would do a bad thing. But like she is, and she does. But she she like it's like she has this short list of well, as long as I don't do this, I'm not bad. But right. the list of things that are on there keep shifting. Um, but so speaking of Lauren. Yes. So we mostly only get his perspective from Sigourney, again, as our main mm-hmm. character and narrator. But he he has this almost a conflict of interest. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because he wants to have control of himself as a person, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, but he also has particular goals, and he kind of has to balance, you know, what am I going to take? What am I going to be willing to go through in pursuit of those goals when it means, you know, giving up control over myself? Or... Or acknowledging that control is being taken from him in either, depending on the situation. Um, so in this in this moment where he is being being uh, whipped until he is this the time where he passes out? I'm not. I don't remember. Um, there's several instances where there's like backstory of other times yeah i'm not 100 percent if that moment was in this moment or if it was a kind of a back uh, flashback yeah i'm not sure 
But either way, he is yeah. putting up with this because he doesn't really have a choice. But this is kind of the end of his, like, a willingness to meet Sigourney halfway in anything. Yeah, like, so one of the things that's going on in the background is that her mother had promised that the people that were enslaved on her island would be freed. And then Sigourney ended up in charge of those people as their new master, and she didn't free them. And she knows that she should, and she hasn't. And so some of her previous interactions with Laurent have been him saying, Hey, so you know how you promised that you were going to free your slaves? So when are you going to do that? And she's like, soon. I definitely <laughs> soon, totally I am going to do that soon. I super duper promise. And he's like, so that's kind of like, uh, okay, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And right. so then there's a little bit of like, well, not even a little bit. There's pretty explicitly when... Axel wants to kill Lauren. Um, it's kind of like a test from Lauren to see what, like, once the moment happens, Lauren uses it as a test to see whether or not Sigourney will even do this very small thing of not let him get hurt. Um, because if she can't do that, then she is never ever going to actually free the people she's enslaved. Right. Or um, that's that's his assumption anyway. Right, right. And there's like I I think that it is for what he has available to oh, him. Oh yeah, I'm not saying whether it's, he's right or wrong, but Sure. No, it is I think it's a very very good test because he doesn't know her personally before the events of the book. Um, he might know of her. I know whether or not to, and to what degree he knows of her, but like for, for the information we know of that he might have, like he probably already knows about her because she's the only Islander who's also a Connolleague. Right. Um, and that puts her, yeah, we'll talk about that later on the social isolation, but like he has this as a test with, to the degree that he's able to kind of check and see what she'll do. And not only is he hurt, but he he's whipped. Um, and it's the book doesn't treat us to a horrific description no. of it. It saves it does that sparingly because if there were like specific descriptions for every single instance of well, violence gonna, and abuse in this. I'm yeah. going to rephrase that real quick. The book shows us those instances when Sigourney is actively emotionally affected by them. Yeah. If, yeah, so if she's okay none, at the end, we don't see it. Yeah. Um, but if it, her, if it affects her emotionally, then there's much more detail about it happening. Yeah. But she leaves. Like, she doesn't even... Yeah, she does not want to witness this, so we don't either. Right. <sighs> yeah. I I really like Lauren as a character. Um, He's the narrator for book two. Um, he's a great, great character. I like him a lot. Um, And... I just, I think of what he had available, this was a pretty good test. And Sigourney's halfway measure is only halfway because the other option was him being dead. And I don't think, like, specifically, Lauren doesn't actually consider that to have been a compromise. Because, like, Lauren has survived someone trying to kill him like a lot like more than once like people mostly his brother and father keep trying to kill him and he keeps not dying and so for lauren i think that him that sigourney letting him be whipped is like an is explicitly a worse outcome 
than if she just hadn't intervened at all and had let them try to kill him once again. Because that would be less painful than this um, from his perspective. I think there, if I remember correctly, there, there's a, an implication of that. Yeah. It's like, well, this is, you doing a half measure is worse than you not trying. Hello, and welcome to our third topic for Sigourney and social isolation. So I don't think we have mentioned thus far in the episode because it felt slightly tangential to the previous two topics, but I know we did mention it in the previous topic that Sigourney is an Islander with some fear and blood who is also a Connolly. And if you haven't read the book, that means um, she is in the context of Black people being enslaved in these islands who are from the islands. She is one of the Black Islanders. She has some white ancestry. That's the Fjern. And, but she is from like somewhere between eight and 10 generations of, um, mostly they're, they're mixed race. Um, uh people who have been enslaving their fellow islanders and she's from like yeah like eight or ten generations of that yeah so she didn't like she was never enslaved um she has had other traumatic things in her past uh that aren't the topic of this episode but she hasn't been through the thing that she keeps putting people through. Right. And so social isolation is our topic because she's in this uh, very strange position. Um, the kind that is, this a particular aspect is only possible in a fantasy book like this, where she can literally read the minds of all these people who hate her. Right. And so she, ext- she doesn't have the luxury of thinking, maybe they're secretly rooting for me that someone who looks like them is in charge. No, no, no. She doesn't even have the ability to, at least if she's being honest with herself, she doesn't have any, any room to, think that maybe they actually like her because every time she reads their minds without permission, she knows how much they don't. Right. And then also, so she is, she is too much of a Connolly, also literally enslaving her fellow Islanders for the Islanders to accept her. But she's also the, um, the Fjern, the white Connolly, they see her, and it's, it's described this way in the book, they see her like um, like an especially talkative goat who's learned an interesting trick. Mm-hmm. Like, they do not see her as human. They see her as someone who, or something that isn't human, that is doing a bunch of human things, and they think it's kind of cute, but they're not going <laughs> to let her get any actual power or influence. Right. And she thinks that if she just comes to this island, plays by their rules, does all the things, that maybe the king will appoint her his successor. And then she gets to this island with all of the other potential, all the people who rule their own islands and might potentially rule this particular network of them if they get picked. And she discovers that they will never accept her because they don't even see her as not, not only do they not see her as a worthy opponent, they don't even really see her as an opponent or in the running or anything. Right. They're just kind of waiting for the King to be like, ha ah, yeah. So we were never going to let the one who isn't a real human person do the thing. Um, jokes over. She's out of the running They're They're all waiting for that moment. Yeah, it it 
so what it, this all culminates in is that Sigourney spends basically the entire book, other than a very tiny flashback that we see of her as like a young teenager who just wants a friend and can't get it, but she tries. We, we kind of just see this entire book of her feeling very alone. And now, to be fair, she we do have flashbacks of her when her family was still alive. But that's really just only makes the contrast that much greater. You know, she started out life with a mother and siblings who cared about her and she cared about them and she was supported and loved and, you know, connected. And then when that goes away, no one else is really like, so to speak, on her side or in her corner or helping her in the way that she really needs it. No one is there as an equal to her as a a teammate to her that's just not a thing and the one person who could be she explicitly treats as a servant and does not confide in and has a lot of internal monologues about how she can't do that <laughs> like she's just incredibly isolated both socially physically emotionally intentionally by herself and by other people yeah and she frees the slave who um, when her family was killed, the slave who rescued her, who found her, because she was eight when they were killed. And so... I'm fairly certain she, she was already free. Um, No, it specifically had it that Sigourney freed her. Okay. I don't know when Sigourney frees her, I, but I, Sigourney... For some reason, I had I had, was under the impression that she was free and living elsewhere and then visiting her enslaved family. No, my... um. So her family were enslaved and worked in the house, and she was enslaved and worked in the equivalent of the fields, I believe, oh, okay. is the split that was happening. Um, there, She worked, like, away, because the reason she was separated from them is that Sigourney's mother who was the owner wanted there to be someone who um, could take care of whoever escapes to the cave in the event that something catastrophic happens so I don't know if she had like daily work to do but she wasn't free she mm -hmm. was specifically held in reserve oh, okay. and made to be away from her family oh, okay gotcha um, yeah. yeah but I mean so, still this is the the surrogate mother figure to her and she just she has a lot of internal monologues about how it doesn't matter and she can't confide in her and she won't understand and you know yeah and like she's mostly stopped reading her mind um like at the very start of the book actually Sigourney tells us that she doesn't or hasn't read her mind and then as and then the book goes clearly on, doing that <laughs> Right. As the book goes on, and she clearly is, she starts adding all these caveats about how, like, she doesn't do it anymore. Oh, whoops. Okay, she just did it for, like, a totally good plot reason, I promise. I just don't right. do it often. I don't and do it often. Just every third page. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and so the only person that she has freed, so, she, so there's this promise that she should be keeping to free all of the people on the island that she owns and she keeps every time she's called out on it or every time she thinks about it in her head she's like oh no I'm, I'm totally gonna free them later I just have to do like this one more big step in my plan and once like I do that I'll totally be able to free them but it then like especially in some conversations with Lauren like he asks her for details and she like adds additional things in the plan of like things that she can't do if she frees mm -hmm. them first. And right. for most of them, I will agree that logistically, if she frees them, she can't do those things. I also don't think that she can do those things and still be or have the potential to be a good person right she keeps i don't know like we, we talked about before the the recording we talked about um there's this idea of an anti-hero which is not what she is i'm not saying she's an anti-hero but <laughs> playing off of this basic idea of an anti-hero there's this thing that's an anti-villain 
And she is basically the description of that, where there's nuance and backstory for her as a villain. And plot and justification th- for all of the things that she's doing. Right. And so she has explanations for either why the thing she's doing isn't actually bad or why it's okay for her to do this bad thing this one time. But then it's one more time and one more time and one more time. And it doesn't stop. And it all adds up to her being a villain in individual actions and in her overall plan while trying to think of herself as a good person, to think of herself as the hero in her own story. Mm-hmm. But even like her big plan of why she needs all these <laughs> people. This may end up being one of my my favorite thing in the wrap up, just so you know. The, the moment okay, yeah. where she's like, okay, but then I'm going to rule it all. And she gets called out and is like, okay, then what changes for us? Are you going to free people? Are you going to make our lives better? And she just kind of like, like short circuits for a moment. (laughs) And then you get this, like this internal moment where she's like, well, I mean, probably that would be a good plan. You know, it's, it's so funny. Yeah. Her plan was to get enough power to have power. Right. End of story. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I, I really think, and I, I, I'm saying this here because I don't know whether I'll be able to say it without spoilers when we talk about integral, Mm -hmm. interchangeable, or irrelevant, because I don't think I can. Okay. Um, But on it's like a general idea of like, okay, like if she would like to try and be better or be some version of a good person that is consistent with her existing personality, like what are her what are genuinely are her options right because she has them and we know that she has the resources to leave we have flashbacks and backstory of times that she has traveled outside of the islands and she has met other people who look like her and she knows what places to avoid specifically like the place where the Fjern are from like don't go there uh, she learns that so like she knows that she can leave she has the money to leave but because the one time or the couple of times she traveled elsewhere some things were hard and people <laughs> didn't necessarily like her I think she's ruled it out as an option. Like, she genuinely doesn't see leaving the island as a viable option. Like, she thinks about it and discards it. Here's a thought that I have had Uh while while I was reading this. Hypothetically, here's a plan that she could have done probably pretty easily. Okay? Okay. Collaborate with probably key people in her retinue right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That she has the power over, but find the people who would be able and willing to, like, not leak the plan. Have people who stay there and kind of continue working as volunteers, but her money and power would go toward buying slaves and then shipping them off to somewhere else they want to live as a family group and letting them go. Yeah. She could have she could have probably pretty easily from the setup in this book become like a funnel to get people out who wanted to go, to be clear. Right. And that doesn't yeah. even occur to her. The only thing she can think of is trying to conquer essentially the mm-hmm. the area that she is still in. Now, I'm not saying everybody would want to leave. And there is a there is a lot of probably a lot of people who would not want to go. They would want to stay, but they would still be possible to like take her little corner of the world and maybe even expand how much of it she has control over. Sure. But be working together with the people who want to be there and want to, you know, do anything to improve their lives at all. And instead, her route is like, well, what if I just become the top dog <laughs> and, the, and like That'll somehow get her revenge 
But like, what is she going to do at that level that she can't do on a smaller level now? Not a lot. And she isn't even willing to try. Yeah. And she spends. It's like on the kind of like the Connolly side of the social isolation. She spends most of the book desperately trying to get them Mm -hmm. to like her and or at least respect her enough. I mean, desperately trying to get any kind of connection with someone who sees her as an equal and also respects her at the same time. Literally she also keeps reading their minds. She keeps reading their minds and seeing how much they, even if they like her, they don't think of her as human. Right. Well, but she's also been taught that respect means that she's on top and Uh she has the power and like she just can't it's like she can't let go of that and and be willing to you know let someone have their own privacy and and autonomy and she's she just she's just unwilling to to do that yeah i mean even like part of why she keeps lauren around is because She's fascinated by the way her power doesn't work on him right? most of the time. And so she, like, she has him around, I think at least partly, because she can hear how much everyone else hates her. But at least right. with him, she can't hear how much he hates her. Right. No, that makes except sense everyone's, to me. Yeah, except every once in a while he drops his mental wall and he's like, hate, 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 hate. And she's like, oh, okay, all right. And then he puts it back up, um, which I think is a great move on his part. I this good. I I don't know. I I really really like him as a character. Um, but yeah, yeah. She really like. I think there. I think every time there was an option, she looked at it. And decided that she was unwilling to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else. I get either maintaining a good trajectory or getting a leg up. Mm -hmm. Because there are times where something is good for her and also good for someone else. Like her whole relationship with Axel. Right. um, she is fine with him getting something out of the way she has coerced him into marriage. Right. Um, but she's fine with him getting something out of it. She doesn't care that he has someone else that he wants to sleep with. She's totally cool with that. Um, but that's because she either feels like she's getting more out of it, being able to be on the island, or she's at least getting as much out of it as he is. Right. But what she won't do is lose even a tiny bit for the sake of someone else getting something. And that's why she's not actually going to free the people. Just Mm -hmm. it's never going to be enough because it would be inconvenient. Did you know Rob Thomas has been writing since the mid-90s? The Matchbox 20 guy? No, the guy behind Veronica Mars. Oh, and iZombie. And Cupid, Party Down, the Cupid reboot. I haven't seen those. Me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. Hello and welcome to the wrap-up and ratings for Queen of the Conquered by Case and Calendar. For the gratuity rating, uh, backstory, off-screen, mild, moderate, severe, or torture porn. Uh, for the rape, um, is the gratuity rating for that. Um, I I am thinking about it. <laughs> so one, for those who didn't read the main section, one of the things that makes it uh, tricky is that in the book, it is clearly rape, but not explicitly right. with clear labels acknowledged as such by either party. 
Yeah. It uh, I I am wavering between the language making it well, I guess it makes it less gratuitous, but maybe also treated with less care when we get there. Yeah, that feels Is that a good balance for this? Yeah, so that uh, so maybe even mild or maybe perhaps moderate but a, like a I would say moderate like a low because, moderate yeah I, w- I would say moderate um because it's pretty specific about what actions are happening um okay no that's that's yeah, that's fair yeah um yeah and then we'll deal with the rest of it on the care rating yeah uh for the torture so the main character explicitly leaves and doesn't watch like specifically right so it's off screen but (laughs) but um well that i would say that very particular instance of it that where we focused our discussion right is is off screen um but it is not the only instance in this book. Um, yeah, that, that very particular one is off screen, but there are ways in which that one could be viewed as moderate and ways in which mm-hmm. other similarly situated um, torture I mean, scenes um, I feel, are I moderate. still think it's, I still think it's, well, hmm. We do see the aftermath a little bit. Yeah. Which I think maybe kicks it up too severe, but that's building on Oh yeah. Like if you uh, if you think it's severe, I'm comfortable saying severe. I just need to make sure we didn't put it as mild just no, because no, 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 no. we don't have I, the literal moment. I think it's off screen severe and I think that we get enough context to have a good visual if you are visual that makes it severe. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, if your brain does this, it's not hard to figure out what it looked like. Yeah. Um, my brain does not, but yeah, so yeah, severe and off screen. Then the social isolation. I think this is also maybe severe. Oh, definitely. This is definitely severe. Especially because of how much we get of what's in her head. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Lol. Yep. And other people's. Yeah. Uh, all right. Integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant. So it talked in the section for the rape about how narratively it kind of sets the tone of how much you do or don't believe the main character's version of events. Yeah, but we kind of... But I don't think... What I was going to say is it is a very good and more succinct thing that helps with that. But there are a lot of other opportunities. And also, like, we're not exactly oblivious to it, even if we skip those scenes. Yeah. I, I want to I argue irrelevant, but I would be okay with interchangeable. Um, I think, I actually do think it is, I think... Okay, I, I would say interchangeable because I think it matters that she keeps disregarding what people actually want, not giving them a chance to clearly express it. And then even if she knows they don't want something, she does what she wants to anyway. Right. That isn't even the only instance of this happening. No, it's not even the only instance right. on our first like 10 or 20 pages. Right. But that this particular one happened, I think another kind of way that she does this could have been in there um, without it affecting the plot much. So yeah, I do think it's interchangeable. And as for what could be there instead, there's several other things that are there. And so having a different one among them, I don't think would disrupt the story in a meaningful way. I can't yeah. tell which one you're yeah. arguing for. I'm saying interchangeable. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying not only is it interchangeable, like we have visions of what the alternatives could be, like in 
the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, then for the torture, that particular instance. Mm, that's maybe irrelevant. Something. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, 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 or interchangeable. It's not. I integral. think interchangeable. The the thing is. We have like we, so many things that could have achieved the same results. Um, but I do think those results needed to be achieved, and so I would say interchangeable. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. I just, every once in a while, there's one of those books where I'm like, maybe everything we've talked about, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a thing that's necessary. But no, I, I, I think interchangeable. Yeah. Um, and then isolation is very integral. Yeah. Yep, the social isolation is absolutely integral to the plot. It couldn't, the plot couldn't happen without this or something that is so similar as to not be a well, meaningful I, difference. I would argue that it. the plot yeah. would drastically change if she had even like one real conf- confidant, <laughs> oh, one yeah. real friend. Like, I, I think it's very integral. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Was the trauma treated with care? I'm... Okay. So, depending on how long you have been in our audience, you may Mm -hmm. or may not know that part of why we started this podcast was because of the way that sexual assaults frequently get treated in books. Mm-hmm. And while I say that this one, I do not think, I don't think this one was treated with care, but it is also not, uh, it is not the typical kind of assault that usually gets tossed in with no care in a, in a plot. Oh, I so, see what you're saying. I want to say that it is not the kind of, oh, we just had someone randomly get assaulted for no reason just to spice things up. It's not <laughs> that. It no, is not it's that. very much not that. But it also is not treated with any care, especially so far as to have it be a situation where all the coercion to set up this person to be assaulted happened before the book began. And so the book opens with saying, oh, don't worry, this person totally definitely likes it. Please don't think about how they weren't meaningfully able to consent. That's how it's set up. And I'm not going to put any more detail than that. But so if you think of what happened as an assault, there is no care. It is also possible for someone to read the book and potentially not realize that that particular event was rape. Right. So it's like there's no care, but yeah, that's that's my piece on that one. Yeah, I, I also agree none, but deliberate and meaningful none. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we haven't had he, a no, a straight up no in a while. Yeah, it's it's been a while. And we're going to have another one in a moment. <laughs> yeah, the the torture, I think. I, well, I think the torture I, was know, maybe the torture torture had some. Torture had a little bit. Yeah, so I think do you think it was not enough or <laughs> the enough? The torture had self-care for our main protagonist. Yeah. Um I I I think it's not enough. Yeah, not enough. And the the person responsible deciding not to watch is care a little bit for the reader, but not enough. Yeah. Um, it spares us one potentially graphic description. But, but we get else. plenty of this same character with their backstory anyway. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a very tiny bit of um, yep. social isolation. I think also I, maybe no. Yeah, I think no. This is the one I was referring to that I think is just no. Yeah, I I eventually realized. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's... I think this one is not treated with care. Um, and, you know, there's something about the straight up no where we're like, 
No, they didn't try. And then we get to assess, do we think maybe they should have tried? And in this case, the point is, no, this is just un- unmitigated isolation. And that's just that's just how that goes um, for this character. For a whole lot of really complicated plot reasons that form the whole reason the book exists. Um, yeah. It, like we said, this one's integral. Yeah. The, the thing with our care rating is that having no care or having more care doesn't, isn't like a judgment on the book. Nope. It's just, sometimes it's a deliberate choice and sometimes it's one of those things where it's like, Ooh, we're supposed to experience this. Okay. It just depends yeah. on the book. All, All right. right. Moral directionality. Okay. So our ratings are clear, muddy, and tangled. So clear is that there's a, like, it's really obvious who we should agree with or not agree with mm-hmm. in terms of the morality and the book. Uh, muddy is that it's really confusing and hard to tell who we're supposed to agree with. And tangled is that there are several very good, mutually exclusive sets of morals and you could read the book and come away agreeing with one none or all of them as long as you're not worried about them not all being actionable in the world of the book uh this i feel like this is really clear (laughs) um i don't feel like Gurney has a lot of good options with the choices she has decided to make so far. Right, um, but we're, we also come away from the book with a very clear, like, judgment on the characters and their choices. I agree. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, this is, this is very clear. Alright, the point of view for the trauma and aftermath. Sigourney. Yeah, yep, we did it. Sigourney <laughs> for everything. Including her decision not to see one of the things. Yep, Sigourney for everything. Um, she does get in other people's heads, but that's still it's it's other people's thoughts as filtered and processed by her. So right. it's still her. Yeah. All right. For the trope spotter, I had to peruse a list of mystery tropes <laughs> to find one I liked for this. Um. Occasionally, there already is a TV Tropes page for the book, which makes my life easy. This was not one of those. All right. My trope is motive equals conclusive evidence. This trope is where someone having a motive to do the thing is treated as evidence that they did it. Um, This book actually takes it one step further with step one being... Sigourney is an islander. Step two, she must not like them. Step three, <laughs> obviously Sigourney did all the murders. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very, I want you to have done it and so you did it. <laughs> Motivation. Yep. yep. Um, and, and also the whole motive equals conclusive evidence is, a, I will say that it is applied writ large to islanders being anywhere doing something economy league doesn't want them to do yeah um it's applied there as well but specifically for sigourney with this uh murder mystery thing specifically they keep saying that she probably did it um yep and they're keep being in murders so there's lots of things they keep thinking she has done all right uh Provided that there were non-traumatic things in this book, what was your favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? So I mentioned this when we were talking about the topic, but my favorite quote-unquote non-traumatic thing about the book is a particular scene where Sigourney is talking to another character and she is basically like, I am going to become the ruler. That's my goal. And the other character is like, okay, then what? Does that help me? Does it help anybody other than yourself? And she kind of has this like deer in the headlights. Oh, no moment of uh oh, does it? 
and then she try then there's a there's then she tries to like convince herself that yeah of course it's it's to help other people as well I've, I've got all these plans I'm gonna do all these things that are good but th- that that moment of like are is this only for you oh uh oh is it <laughs> oops <laughs> that that's my favorite moment I think it is almost it's not comical but it's funny if that makes sense yeah um so I don't really drink tea. I can't have caffeine, but I, I, so I don't usually, I, I, I've started noticing beverages in books. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you've read the book, you'll probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, yes. Yep. So I, I, I've started noticing beverages in books as just kind of idly in my head, like, a. Could I have what the characters are having? Um, Because in my personal life, I usually can't have what my friends are having. Just constantly. And so, like, I kind of just, like, keep track of, like, could I drink what they're drinking? And I'm pretty sure, unless something really weird's going on with it, lemongrass probably doesn't have caffeine. They drink Mm. so much lemongrass tea. Constantly. And there's, like, one time where somebody... Well, on the island, or there, yeah, well, someone, there's like one time off the island where someone isn't drinking lemongrass tea. Um, and it's like pointed out and noted <laughs> because Sigourney really wishes it were lemongrass. Uh, but yeah, just constantly people drinking lemongrass tea to the point where like I finished the book. And since like this isn't my first read through of the book, um, I got to the end. And I was like, hmm, I kind of feel like maybe I want to try lemongrass they're talking about it so much maybe it's good should i try this um anyway have you tracked uh, it down no because that was yesterday oh so (laughs) no i i haven't i haven't tried that um like i might if i do i will report back yeah please do yeah see if i can obtain lemongrass tea uh, and see whether or not... Well, first I will search and find out whether it has caffeine, so whether or not I can actually have it. I'll but just yeah, Google so that just, for you real quick. I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, so my favorite non-traumatic thing was just quietly getting to keep track of what everyone's drinking, and this time it was almost always lemongrass tea, except for the one time it was like rosehip or something. I've had this before. You've had it before? I have. Does it have caffeine? Not a clue. I'm still looking. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay, I should be specific. I have not had it by itself, but I have had the lemongrass flavored green tea that ah, has like lemongrass in the green tea. Yeah. It basically tastes like a subtler version of lemon, f- lemon flavored green tea. It's just mm-hmm. not quite as bitter. I haven't had it by itself, but I do know the, like, taste, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well? <laughs> Does lemongrass, Google autofills, tea have caffeine? This tea is is naturally caffeine-free. Oh, good. Enjoy. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, hopefully, at some point, I will find it and try it. Walmart. See. Oh, In my experience. Great. Now, yeah. that may be only mixed with green tea, but... Well, the, if it's mixed with green tea, I can't have it. This is so true. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, so that was my favorite thing. And for once, it's a thing that I can maybe, like, do something with, which is uh, definitely, I think, new for... <laughs> for this Shop site. lemongrass tea at Walmart. Yes, you can. Excellent. All right. Maybe you'll have it in the show notes of, like... <laughs> All right, here, here's how Robin felt about lemongrass tea. <laughs> I wonder if you could just <laughs> Amazon. <sighs> Anyways. Yeah. I'll, now, I don't support Amazon, but also yeah, there's not no. like a ton of options here. So <sighs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick something in the show notes saying how the, how the lemongrass tea quest went. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this book um if if you are intrigued 
by this. Like, seriously, I like this one. I love the sequel. It's a duology. Just <sighs> King of the Conquered. Like, if you really want to read something just bleak, just just real bleak, um, try King of the Conquered. Queen. Sorry, King of the King of the Rising after oh, okay. you read there Queen you go. of the <laughs> Yeah, sorry. King of the King of the Rising after you read Queen of the Conquered. Um, but yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next episode. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at Kofi.com slash Books That Burn or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list bonus content including the second half of all interviews and will receive a one-time shout out to get updates on our written reviews recent episodes and newly completed transcripts subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn you can find us on apple Podcasts, pandora spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review wherever you're listening this helps people to find the show thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks